0: And Lord, this morning, uh, give me clarity. And as we look at some scripture together, uh, be showing each one of us just those things that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, I am. I confess, I, I hate. To, you know, if a guy apologizes before he starts speaking, you know you're in trouble, and. Uh, I am scattered. This has been a bit of a scattered weekend, and I know that's going to come out this morning, so my apologies before I begin. But somehow you'll make, you'll make something out of this, I'm sure. Uh, I'm not in John this morning. I actually wanted to take a Sunday to revisit uh, a teaching we had January 4th. And you might not remember it by the date, but January 4th we talked about looking for signs of life. And we talked about this year taking our cues from the bird dog. Everybody loved that. They still love it. Look at him. Yeah, you're like a bird dog. That, you know, when you take the bird dog out in the fields and you open the truck and you let him out, of course, he just, he jumps out. And Scott, you, you know this. this. is I'm glad you're here today. He puts his nose in the air. And he starts looking around because he's looking for signs of life. He's looking for birds. But we said, what a great analogy, whether or not you feel like a bird dog or not, to have this kind of sense that, Lord, I'm looking for signs of life, those things you've put in my life that I need to be aware of. And I'm going to be as intent, so to speak, as a bird dog is out in the field looking for those birds that I want to have my spiritual receptors on. I want to have my eyes open, my ears open to see and hear the things you're speaking to me. Looking for signs of life. That's what we talked about January 4th. And this morning, I simply want to revisit that theme a little bit. I want to add to it a little bit and ask you really, how's it gone? How's the year gone and have you been seen and have you been looking for signs of life? Um, to put this in perspective too, I've reread all my notes, you know, but uh, one of the great romance stories of all time is the one of uh, Ruth and Boaz. We studied this about a year ago. But do you remember one of the things that when the young widow Ruth, the Moabitess comes back to Israel with Naomi, and these are penniless women, really, not a good position to be in, especially in that day and age. And they come in with no resources, but it's harvest time. And so if you remember, Naomi sends Ruth out, and she says, hey, go find a field, you know, and go out there and glean. Pick up the scraps that are left after the harvesters. And so the story tells us she goes along, and as it happened, just so happened, she ends up in the field of Boaz, who happens to be related to Naomi, and therefore to Ruth. But anyway, it says Ruth meets Boaz, and this is what Boaz says to his workers. Let her glean even among the sheaves, and don't insult her. Uh, and just remember, again, a single woman was uh, sort of defenseless in that culture, not, didn't have the, the resources that women would have today, and was easily uh, victimized. Let her glean even among the sheaves. Don't insult her. Also, you shall purposefully pull out for her some grain from the bundles and leave it that she may glean and don't rebuke her. So you remember the picture was... His harvesters are working through the field, they're cutting the stalks, they're binding them up, binding those sheaves up in stacks and Boaz says not only are you to allow her to come behind you in my fields and glean, pick up the scraps, but I want you to intentionally break off some of those grain heads from the sheaves and throw them down there in front of her. Not so that she'll see you, but so that as she's walking along she's going to find those full heads of grain that have been purposefully left there for her. And we talked about before that this was just a great picture of what the Lord does for us, what Boaz did for Ruth. In fact, I think it's the King James Version says it, something like this. The phrase is, they were to drop handfuls on purpose. Handfuls on purpose. There's devotionals called handfuls on purpose. And that's what we're talking about. Today, that the Lord, because we're his kids and he loves us more than Boaz loved Ruth even, that he's still doing the same thing. He's dropping handfuls on purpose, things right in front of us, so that as we're walking along through our life, we see them. We get the benefit of them. So I want to ask you to turn reflective for a minute and just ask yourselves... Have you seen the signs of life this year? And you remember, matter of fact, uh, you remember we passed out coffee cups at this teaching. And these were to be a visual reminder that this year, when you drink that cup of coffee or tea or when it's sitting on your shelf or whatever, remember to ask yourself, are you looking for signs of life? What is God doing and are your eyes open to see it? Are we looking for God's signs of life? And there was the coffee cup to help us remember. So just take a minute, I mean right now, just take a minute and just reflect. See, we're, we're all, most of the way through the year and the holidays are going to be on us before you know it and we're slip sliding right through the end of 2004. Just take a moment, just pause together, we will collectively here. Just ask yourself, Lord, as I look back over the year, what are the handfuls on purpose you left for me? Have my eyes been open? to see the things you were intentionally leaving for me to see and hear and be aware of and be encouraged by. Let's just take a minute just to do that right now. know if it's easy for you or not do things immediately come to mind hopefully they do that you think if you look back over the year you know the trouble with most of us is life just happens and we don't take stock and we kind of lose track about what's going on and so it's good at whatever time of year we choose to do so to reassess lord where have i been where am i at where am i going what's what's been your work in my life Um, you know, a couple things here, too. I mentioned earlier we're generally quick to ask and slow to say thanks. And, you know, sometimes related to this handfuls on purpose or seeing God's signs of life for us, um, sometimes we just clue out. We're not, we're not consciously thinking about, Lord, this is you, or, Lord, you're at work, and I recognize that. You know, something else, too, if you look back over the year and you say, Lord, I don't feel like I've seen signs of life. I don't, if there's been handfuls on purpose in front of me, I missed them or walked over them. You know, one thing that comes to my mind too, one of the things that most easily prevents us from being able to see signs of life and really experience life the way God wants us to anyway, is sin. You know, a lot of times in fact, there's nothing that will more consistently keep us from seeing signs of life than sin And I don't mean areas in our life in which we're not all we should be. None of us are all that we should be. But areas in our life in which we're consciously holding on to something God doesn't want us to. Or where we're failing to do something God wants us to. You know those things where you know you're at odds with God. And He knows you're not right with Him. That kind of thing. You know, we're alienated. In fact, Isaiah talks about this in two passages. You know, where Isaiah 59 is one of them. About... It's not that God's deaf, that he doesn't hear your prayers, you know. It's not that there's any problem on his end, but it's our sins. So if you look back over this year and you think, Lord, I'm not seeing much in the way of signs of life, ask yourself this, Lord. Is there an area or are there areas where I know I'm at odds with you and I've been checking out? If there is, frankly, this is one of the easiest things to take care of. And I and I don't I'm not being trite when I say this. If we know there's something in our life that isn't right with God, we confess it. That is, we agree with God that it's wrong, that we're out of line, and then we forsake it. Sounds easy. I mean sin is one of the this sounds crazy, but it's something in in this sense that we have control over. That's why I mean that it's easy. It's not like going out and changing someone else's life. You and I don't have the power to do that. But you know what sin in our own life, if we're willing to come to God and say, Lord, I'm out of line and I know it, I I recognize it. I confess it to you and Lord, I'm asking you by your power and your grace to free me from it so I can walk free and honor you. God honors these things. And let me say, I'm not naive almost all of us probably, at point or points in our life, we will have areas that aren't what they should be, and we know it. And let's say, whatever the sin is, we blow it, and we confess, and we forsake, and then we blow it. You know what I'm saying. And we confess, and we forsake, and then we blow it. The truth is, all along the way, we are trying to walk with God. And we're saying, Lord, we want to honor you, but we fail again and again and again. That's not what I'm talking about. We're all going to have areas in our life in which, whether you call them stubborn sins or, uh, I'm forgetting the phrase I want to think of. Anyway, because of our bent, because of the way we're wired, some of us are tempted in ways that others aren't. And we're going to, probably each one of us is going to find areas in our life that are tough for us to walk free in for one reason or another. I'm not talking about that. Um, In Growing Kids God's Way, Gary Ezzo uses a phrase that I love because I think it's so helpful. What are you characterized by? God says that as long as we're in this body, we're going to sin. It's not if, it's when and how. So that's not the issue. But what are we characterized by? Are we characterized by seeking God confessing sin when we've sinned, and, and moving on. Is that what we're characterized by? That's what I'm talking about here. So if we look back over the year and we're not seeing much in the way of signs of life, we do need to ask ourselves, Lord, is there something I need to get right with you? Is there something I need to confess and forsake? And if we're struggling with some of the same sins repeatedly over time, that's, I'm not saying this is not an issue. All of us deal with these things. But what are we characterized by? Is our relationship with the Lord characterized by freedom? That we're walking with Him in the ways that we know we should or could. So that's an important thing to consider. Uh, But hopefully, as we thought back over the year, hopefully things were coming to mind, handfuls on purpose, things, people, places, events, scriptures that God put in your path that you knew, hey, God's speaking to me and I recognize this. Now, One of the reasons I'm speaking about this this morning specifically and not another Sunday is because I, this is the other thing, I think, Judy, that happens to us. Uh, We get so busy that we lose track and we lose perspective. And if God put the flashing red light in front of our face, we'd miss it because we're zoned someplace else. We're tuned in someplace else. We get so Busy And our culture, frankly, is terrible about this. You know, on one hand, our culture is thrilled with what's called the Protestant work ethic. Work hard. It's productive. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. But Americans tend to take that too far. And what we end up doing is we cram all this stuff and activity into our lives, and we cram God and signs of life out. And we wear ourselves down, running to and fro and... Kids' activities and adult activities, I mean, you name it. Well, it's no wonder we don't see signs of life. We're too busy. We're too busy. Our attention, we don't have an attention to be able to slow down long enough to hear what God's saying or appreciate the ways in which He's been speaking or communicating to us. Being busy is a cultural sin. I think it's a cultural weakness that most of us fall into. And we get so busy that we're simply not aware. Of what God is saying. Have you ever had conversations? I bet you have. Where someone's speaking to you. Or you're speaking to someone. And you realize they didn't hear a word you said. Or you didn't. they tell you you didn't hear a word they said. Have you had that happen? And why? It's because your thoughts are elsewhere. Or their thoughts are elsewhere. It's not that someone's not speaking clearly. Loudly maybe. It's that our attention... Is someplace else. We're distracted. We're distracted. And so we miss the signs of life. I want to turn here a little bit. Talking about this spiritual life is really what we're talking about. Spiritual life. Abundance of life. Fullness of life. The experience of Christ in our lives day by day. Where is it at and what does it look like? And that God on his part is quite intentional in dropping... These signs of life, these reminders of his goodness and his will for us, right in front of us, if we have eyes to see them. If we're simply, if our minds are engaged, to to clue in and see them. Or to remember them later. You know, sometimes we, we heard God this morning and we forgot it this afternoon. So on one hand, we talked about signs of life and the paradigm, the picture was the bird dog. And I don't know why, but I felt like the women really didn't like that one. It wasn't a good visual image. Uh, let, me, let me submit another image to you today <clears throat> about, I guess I would say, a fullness of spiritual life or fullness of the experience of our Christian life here on the earth. And I've got another coffee cup for this one too, but I'm, I'm not giving this one away and I don't have any others. And this is the coffee cup that this is my reminder for this, this paradigm or this picture. And... Some of you know, I would collect coffee cups any place I travel, I would bring a coffee cup home. And so this coffee cup is from uh, Winter Park, Colorado. This is from the YMCA camp in Winter Park one year. And the reason I love this one, uh, see I've got the eagles in the nest on this side, and then I've got the eagle soaring, soaring on this side, soaring above the mountains. And I love the mountains and I love eagles, so this is great. But this picture for me, spiritually, the thing this reminds me of, and frankly, when I see it in the morning, a lot of times I pick this coffee cup just because the image is something that encourages me. It's the image of spiritual life as on the wings of an eagle. Um, When I lived in Montana for a couple of years, uh, there was a high mountain area. I'll break that. Uh, High mountain basin that uh, I would hike up to and fish in. And a gorgeous area, and especially in the fall, the tamarack trees up there, they're, they're uh, needle trees, but they turn golden and their needles drop in just this incredibly gorgeous area. But I'll tell you, to get up there you drove a long, back gravel dusty road to a little parking lot and you got your backpacks on and then you trudged up a couple miles up the mountain to a plateau. And then you packed across the plateau and you went up another spiny ridge, you know, switchbacks, you know, back and forth to get up the mountain then back down to the basin that we would fish in. And I remember on one of my trips up there, I loved going up and the hike didn't seem like that big a deal. But I was on top of this mountain as high as I could get and there was an eagle far above me. And he is just hanging up there in the air and then he tucks his wings a little bit and he just glides and he's doing one of these falls, you know, where he says, uh, enough up here, and now I'm going to go over there. And he just dives. And I thought, you know, I'm this little tortoise with my home on my back, crawling up these trails. And I feel like I'm high. And I see this eagle. And he's covering miles in what would, you know, in seconds, in what would take me hours. And it's because he has the power of flight. And for him, getting around these mountains, it's effortless. There's no work at all. See, all he does is he puts his wings out, he catches the draft, and up he goes. And Mike is toiling hard, you know, up one side and down there, and having a good time of it, actually. But compared to this eagle, no comparison at all. When I look at this coffee cup, especially if I'm a little discouraged or busy, I'm reminded there is a better way. And Scripture talks about this, and Scripture frames the spiritual life in context, a couple contexts we'll read here, as being on the wings of an eagle. And then it's not work for you and I. It's being borne up by the power of another. And if you remember back in January, we talked about Romans 8 in the context of signs of life. What do we have to do to get life? What do we have to do to experience life? And the answer out of Romans 8 was we walk in the Spirit. We walk by the Spirit. It's not a bunch of work on our part. We walk with the spirit. We say no to the desires of our flesh, our old sinful nature, the tortoise that crawls along versus the eagle, the spirit that lifts us up, that bears us along. And so the other paradigm I want you to think about this morning is the eagle. God drops signs of life for us in the field on one hand, but also he gives us wings to fly. And this is This is not grueling work for us. This is easy. This is easy. If you remember, too, in the context last time, we said the norm is if you're human or if you're any object or thing, creature, that's heavier than air, if you're heavier than air, the law of gravity holds you down. You remember this? The law of gravity holds you down. It's a law you can't get past. That's the nature of life. If you weigh more than air gravity will hold you down. But we talked about the fact that there's another law, the law of aerodynamics, that overcomes the law of gravity. And again, just like the eagle, the eagle weighs more than air. If the eagle's wings aren't spread, the eagle will remain held to the earth. But if the eagle puts out its wings, you know, frankly, once it's up in the air, in fact, if it's on the top of a hill or a tree, it doesn't even have to beat its wings. If it simply puts its wings out, The law of aerodynamics will lift the bird off the ground. So one law overcomes another. And again, it's not that the eagle's putting forth all this work or effort. It's that the law of aerodynamics, the way the air rushes over the wing, creates lift, and he is borne aloft. He's in the air and flying, not because of any unique power of his own, but by the law of aerodynamics. And when you think about your spiritual life and when I think about mine, One of the things you need to ask yourself is, am I grueling along up the mountain like a turtle with my house on my back? Or am I like an eagle, not working hard, with my wings out, allowing the power of Christ to bear me aloft to the place he wants me to be? The place he wants me to be. Let me read the the text I want to actually refer to Israel in the wilderness and just think about this for a minute. Israel's been in Egypt now 400 years, and it's been a lousy trip, and especially in the last 50 or 100 years or so. It's slavery, and it's grueling slavery. And then Moses comes along, sent by God, to lead them out. And so God, with Moses, is going to lead Israel out. But remember... When they're let out, remember what they face. They face several things. Uh, as soon as they're let out, in fact, even before they get out, they have the plague, some of which affect them. They've got to make more bricks with less straw. When they're let out after the miracles, they face the Red Sea in front of them and the army of Pharaoh behind them. This, this continues. They get out in the wilderness and they don't have any food. And they don't have any water. And they face enemies without. And they face enemies within. You you get the picture? God's in control and God is leading them. But it ain't all easy. They're facing real challenges every day. They're facing real temptations every day. But listen to what God says about his leadership related to their exodus out of the the land of Egypt and then their time in the wilderness. This is Deuteronomy 1, 29 through 31. Then I said to you, do not be shocked nor fear them. And this is referring to the Israelites immediately out of Egypt. There would have been no 40 years in the wilderness They faced the Amorites at Kadesh Barnea. If you remember, they could have gone straight into the land. And because of Kadesh Barnea, they did not. He says, "...the Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight on your behalf, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes, and in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you, just as a man carries his son in all the way which you have walked until you came to this place." When God looks back and Moses recounts their story in Deuteronomy 1, he says, guys, when God led you out of Egypt, it was like a man carrying his little son. You weren't doing it in your own power. You weren't even walking. God himself picked you up and carried you out of Egypt. It was his power that moved you out of slavery and brought you up to have the opportunity to go into the promised land. God picked you up like a little child and carried you along. Deuteronomy 1. Listen to Deuteronomy 32. This says, He found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of a wilderness. He encircled him, God and Israel. He cared for him. He guarded him as the pupil of his eye. We would say the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that hovers over its young, he, God, spread his wings and caught them, Israel. He carried them on his pinions. God says of Israel, when he carried them through the land of Egypt out into the wilderness, he said it was as if he carried them on his back, on his pinions, on his wings. The Lord alone guided him, and there was no foreign God with him. No one else could claim that they bore Israel out. Only God. He made him, God made Israel, ride on the high places of the earth. He ate the produce of the field, honey from the rock, oil from the rock, curds of cows, milk of the flock, fat of lambs, rams, goats, the finest of the wheat, the blood of grapes, you drank wine. See, God looks back and He says, Guys, Your wilderness wanderings, I was carrying you on my back. I was bearing you aloft to the high places on my wings. Exodus 19.4 says the same thing. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Remember, their experience was temptation and trial. It wasn't that this was all easy. But God says, I brought you out by my power. I carried you like a man his son. I bore you on the wings of an eagle. It was my power that brought you out. And what I'm suggesting for us today is, if you and I are experiencing spiritually dry times, if we look at our year and say, Lord, I don't see much in the way of signs of life, and I feel more like the tortoise than the eagle, We need to ask ourselves, why? Because my suggestion is this, that God is doing the same thing for us today that he did for Israel then, which is simply this. He is bearing us on his wings no less than he did then. We face certainly all kinds of trials and temptations. Every one of us does. So it's not that life is inherently easy. But in your spiritual life, Jesus does say this. He says, if you're working hard and you're weary, you come to me. Why? Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. One of the reasons I was thinking about this, and actually when I looked at my cup this week, decided to teach on this this week, is because I've been so stinking tired. And uh, if you're like me, when I get tired, uh, I get bitter. I get resentful. I want to find a little hole, comfortable, and I just want to hide. I don't want to have any responsibilities, and I just want to hide. And so that's what I felt like this week. And then I picked up my coffee cup, and I thought, well, okay, we need to talk about this. Um, I just get overwhelmed. Well, see, at this point, if I have an honest conversation with the Lord, I'm not overwhelmed because of anything He's asking of me because his burden is light. doesn't mean it's easy, but it's light. If I'm wearing myself out, if I've worn myself out to the point of bitterness and resentment again, I'm doing the work. I'm the tortoise carrying my, my uh, home on my back. I'm not flying with the eagles here. This is not God's doing. This is my doing. This is my doing. So I know when I start feeling bitter... When I start feeling resentful, I know I've got to take a reality check. I've got to stop what I'm doing. I've got to reassess and say, Lord, where did I lose you? You know, I'm in the wrong field, and I'm on the wrong hill, and I'm, I've got the tortoise shell on instead of the wings out. Where did I go wrong? I've got to reassess. This is a normal habit for me, so I have to do it regularly. And probably all of us do in one way or another. Uh, Not that you need these examples, but one of the things I thought about, too, uh, Tolkien's books do trade on several great themes, and one of them actually brings up this very same thought. Uh, His book, The Hobbit, is certainly simplistic compared to The Fellowship of the Rings, but even in The Hobbit, when little Bilbo and the dwarves are caught by these wolves near the Misty Mountains, and they're caught in these fir trees, and they can't get out. And then the trees are set on fire, and they're doomed. Do you know how they're delivered? The eagles come along. These great lords of the air come along, and they pick them up out of the burning trees and haul them to safety. See, they are stuck. There's no way out. No way out. But the eagles come along, and they save them. And in fact, in the Lord of the Rings, in two different occasions that I can think of, Gandalf the wizard is is, uh, locked up on top of this high tower, just like they were in those trees. He has no way down. He has no power to get away. And what happens? An eagle comes along, one of these great eagles comes along and bears him aloft again and saves him, carries him away, not on his own power, but on the power of the eagle's outstretched wings and delivers him again. And in fact, if you think of the end of the same story, Uh, the Lord of the Rings, when little Frodo and Sam have done their best and pitched the ring into the cracks of doom and they think it's the end of the world. And they're there, they are these little specks on the edge of fire and doom and smoke and they know it's over. What happens? The eagles come along and swoop them up and carry them away to safety. In each one of those situations, they had no power to deliver themselves. But in Tolkien's stories, in each case, these lords of the air, these creatures who fly come along and save them. And I want to suggest again to both of us, to you guys and to myself, you've got to look for signs of life. And if you feel like the tortoise instead of the eagle, you need to reassess. You need to reassess because in God's spiritual economy, it's not that life is easy, but the burden is easy. And God's calling us to fly on his power, not to toil on our feet, spiritually. And if we're looking for signs of life and not seeing them, or if we're feeling like life is all drudgery instead of flight, we need to reassess. We need to reassess. Let me suggest, we mentioned sin earlier, but let me suggest a couple other things that will uh, kill this faster than anything I can think of. And the first is anxiety or fear. Anxiety or fear. Uh, Probably more often than any other thing that comes up in our life, the joy of the Lord or the sense of fellowship with Him can be crushed when we entertain anxiety, worry, And or fear, name name it anything you want, but where you something becomes the object of your fear instead of God. Do you know what I mean? And now I am afraid of something, I am worried about something, I am anxious about something. There's no way for us to be full of joy if we're anxious about the things that are going on in our lives. There's no way. Because something else has become the object of our focus. And when fear and worry are the object of our focus, there's no way for us to soar on wings of eagles. We're flat on our back. We're crawling underground. Fear and anxiety will do that every time. In fact, think of this. We've, we've talked about this before. The scripture says ultimately God is the only thing or person we're to fear. And fearing him, we, fear, we need fear no one else. We are commanded, and in Philippians 4, we are commanded... Lots of Christians think, think fear is no small sin, is a small sin, or it's not a sin, and that's absolutely wrong. Philippians commands Christians to be anxious, to be worrisome, to be fearful about nothing. When you and I entertain fear and worry, we are in sin. And this takes a mental discipline to refuse to entertain worry and fear. Worry and fear are like a strong man. If you open the door, it comes in full force. You have to close the door immediately. Immediately. If you sense, as soon as you sense worry and fear, those thoughts and that dread or whatever it feels like to you or whatever image it brings, you have to say no. And you have to, in your own mind, say again to yourself, Lord, I entrust that to you, whatever it is. Be anxious for nothing. But by everything, with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. and What will you get? You'll get peace. You'll get life. You'll get joy. So ask yourself, are you given to fear? Are you entertaining anxiety? Another thing is, this is a biggie too, just related to lifestyle. It's priorities. What are your priorities? The truth is we make room in our life for our priorities. If I want to walk in the Spirit, see God's signs of life, and soar on wings of eagles instead of crawling on the ground, my priority needs to be the Lord. I can't walk with the Lord if I'm not meeting with the Lord. What are my priorities? Am I spending time with the Lord? Am I in His Word? Am I praying? Am I meditating on the things that are true about Him? What am I filling my mind with? What are my priorities? What am I making time for? What are my priorities? Again, I think one of the traps we fall into is we get busy with very many things, very many of them, good things in themselves, but I think by God's uh, plan, needless things, things he's not asking us to be a part of or things to do. And when we get too busy, typically what happens is what should be our priorities go out the window. And we default to simply being the squirrel on the squirrel cage, trying to keep everything going at once. And we wear ourselves out. This is not what Christ calls us to. So we need to make sure that our priorities are the right ones. Christ is our priority. If we're not experiencing life, Christ isn't our priority, because he's life. He's our focus, that's what we get. And we need to make sure that we're not doing too many things. And, And guys, we fool ourselves as to how much we think we can do. We really, 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 really do. And think about this. The holidays are coming. And if you think you've been busy so far, you know, if you don't watch, it just gets worse. And these are these are supposed to be times when you meet with others, you relax, and you're able to enjoy each other, right? And the goodness of God. But, you know, how many times do you sit down for a Thanksgiving dinner full of stress because somebody's late? or something's not cooked right, or none of which is the priority, none of which is the most important thing. So what are the priorities? Don't fill our plate up too full. Make sure that we're allowing leeway. Make sure we allow leeway. What are our priorities? The last thing is this. We'll close with this passage. This is perhaps one of the best-known passages related to this theme in the Old Testament, certainly. But it's this, it's to make time to wait on God. It's to make time to wait on God. In a busy culture, waiting is not a priority. But waiting on God, God says, is a priority. Waiting on God. This doesn't mean that we sit around doing nothing. It doesn't mean that we're twiddling our thumbs spiritually. But it does mean this. Those things that concern us, Whatever it is, if there's something that we can and should be doing about the things that whatever is on our mind, whatever subject we're talking about, then we should be. And we should be committing that to the Lord and doing whatever we think he's asking us to do. But you know as well as I do, there are many things outside our control. Most things are outside our control. What do you do with those? You wait on God. This means a couple things. It means that we talk to him in prayer about them. We commit them to him in prayer. Not that we're idle necessarily. We commit them to him in prayer. And then we wait on him. We wait on him. There's a great verse out of Isaiah 64, if I can find it real quickly here. And then I'll close with this last uh, passage. Um, When you decide to entrust yourself and your cares and what concerns you to God you're doing a wise thing. You're entrusting yourself to a God. Listen to this. Isaiah 64, 4. From of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear, nor has I seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. New American Standard says who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You can take that one to the bank. See, God's saying this. If you'll entrust yourself and what concerns you to me, I'll make it right. I'll make it good. Do Do you see why? Because you're saying to God, Lord, I trust you with what concerns me. I'm not taking it in my own hands. I'm not putting it in someone else's hands. Lord, I trust you. And so I'm giving you what concerns me and I'm waiting on you to perform your goodwill, whatever it is. You know, the one thing that turns God's heart faster than anything else, more consistently, is faith. It's trust, and that's what we're saying to him. God, I trust you. If you're a parent and your child says, Mom or Dad, here's my $10,000. I'm giving it to you. Would you take care of it for me so that later on I'll have my money in the bank or something? Well, you'd say, well, sure, junior. And you'd go invest it or do whatever. You'd understand, Junior knows me and loves me and trusts me with what concerns him. And I'm going to do right by him. Well, God is this multiplied. When we wait on him, he is delighted to act on our behalf. Sometimes the waits are long. Sometimes the waits are long. And we can become discouraged. But God acts on behalf of those who wait for him. And let me close with Isaiah 40. Sometimes we feel like God's not doing right by us. He's not dropping those handfuls of purpose on us. He's not giving us those wings of eagles. And we might make some accusations. And this is what happens in Isaiah 40. Why do you say, O Jacob? Why do you accuse, O Jacob? Or assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. The justice do me escapes the notice of my God. God, you're not doing right by me. This is the accusation. God replies, don't you know? Haven't you heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, doesn't become weary or tired. He hasn't fallen down on the job. His, unsta- his understanding is inscrutable. He knows everything about your problem in mind, your situation in mind. He doesn't lack any wisdom or understanding. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Even though youths, mighty young athletes, marathon runners, might grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men might stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run but not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. You know, the, the only requirement for this is to wait on God. I love this, Dan. This is simple. God, I give you my hope. God, I give you what concerns me, and I wait on you. And God says to the one who says that to me, I'm going to give you the wings of the eagle. I'm going to drop those handfuls of life in front of you and I'm going to give you the wings of eagle and you'll soar, you won't crawl. And if you need to run, you won't get tired either. To the one who waits on God. So as we close in prayer, just think, and later today think, just do a quick inventory of the year. What have been the signs of life God's dropped in front of you? What has he been saying to you? If you feel like you haven't been hearing from him or seeing him at work in your life, ask yourself whose field are you in? Where's your energy? Where's your time? Where's your focus? Is there sin that needs to be changed? And in the end, are you waiting on him? Is he your priority? Are you making time for him? And are you waiting on him? Because he says if you do, you will mount up with wings like eagles, you won't get tired and bitter, and weary. Because you'll be walking in, you'll be living in His strength and His provision. Let's pray. Lord, I'm just struck every time I feel uh, overburdened or weary. I'm reminded again that I'm, I'm not walking with You. I'm doing things my way. God, remind us again that You're a God who can be trusted with what concerns us. Lord, thanks that you promised to take care of those things that relate to us. Father, help us if there's sin to repent of it, to confess it, and to get rid of it, Lord. Father, help us to refuse worry and fear as unworthy of those who have been redeemed by you. Lord, help us to make you our priority. And Lord, when we've done the things we know that you call us to, help us to wait on you knowing that you've promised to act on our behalf. And let us take new strength and new encouragement from these words out of Isaiah that those who wait for you will gain strength, Lord, will mount up on the wings of eagles, will walk and will run and not become weary or tired. Lord, we want to make you our faith, you our trust. In Jesus' name, amen.